0: Episode 69 of 211's Baseball Talk is upon us. We've got a great episode for you. We'll talk all about the Blue Jays losing 2-3 or to the Astros, the series against the Braves. Uh, We're going to talk about the offensive performances around the league this year and more. Stay tuned. 211's Baseball Talk, episode 69 starts right after this. that was balanced by infinite walking you into episode 69 of 211's baseball talk. My name is Dylan Baker. Joined beside me yet again is my dad Chris. How you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you. I'm actually in front of you on your monitor, but
0: uh
1: <laughs> every we're time socially distancing
0: every time. Every every episode you've got to you got to correct me on where you are actually situated. <laughs> Technically not beside me, although in the in the Zoom frame you're beside me. You're right next to me, so technically I'm not wrong That's there, true. but yes, you are in a different That's a good room. Point. You're in front of me on my monitor, though, and uh, we're ready to get things going in this episode, so let's dive right into things. The Blue Jays took on the Astros on Friday night after wrapping up the split with the A's. They stayed in their division to face the Astros in Houston. Game one featured Ross Stripling versus Jose Urquidy. The Blue Jays got the scoring started early with a Bo missile to left field, putting them up 1-0. However, the Astros countered in the second with a Carlos Correa two-run homer to put them up 2 to 1. That was followed by a bases-loaded walk by Ross Stripling, which would not be the last for the Blue Jays on the weekend, and that put the Stros ahead 3 to 1. In the third, Danny Jansen kept it close by hitting his second home run of the year and second in as many games. Jays are down 3 to 2 at this point. In the bottom of the fifth, though, Yuli Gurriel hit a two-run shot to put Houston ahead 5 to 2. Sixth inning now with Miles Straw, the fastest Astro at third. Michael Brantley lined a ball to left field. The Jays left fielder, Lourdes Gorial Jr., caught flat-footed. He stayed that way and fired a strike to the plate to throw him out. In the seventh, though, Yuli Guriel again, making it 7-2 with an RBI single, which Kyle Tucker followed up with an RBI double. In the eighth, Alex Bregman doubled, scoring one. Jordan Alvarez grounded out, scoring another, which Yuli Guriel followed up with a sack fly to make it 10-2 Houston. In the ninth, Teasca Hernandez got a couple back with a two-run shot, but that would be too little too late for the Blue Jays. Game two in Houston had Steven Matts on the bump against Christian Javier as the Jays looked to even up the series. Once again, Toronto was on the board first when Kevin Biggio homered to make it uh, 2 nothing in front of fa- friends and family in the second inning. Then in the third, Danny Jansen homered in his third straight game as Jano was coming around to put the Jays ahead 3-zip. That uh, was followed up by Randall Gritchick with a two-run double to give the Jays a 5-0 lead. In the bottom of the fourth, Jordan Alvarez hit a two-run shot to make it 5-2. to In the fifth, it was Alvarez again as he singled home another run to make it 5-3. to The Astros got another run in the eighth when Yuli Gurriel grounded out, and all of a sudden, it was a 5-4 game. However, in the ninth with two guys on, Marcus Semien went yard in a bit of a joke stadium way, but it gave the Jays some much-needed insurance, and they won 8-4. to In the rubber match on Mother's Day, the Jays sent Nate Pearson to the mound against Zach Granke. Remember how I said Ross Stripling's bases loaded walk wouldn't be the last of the weekend? Well, Nate Pearson in the second inning had no command and walked Michael Brantley with the bases juiced to put Houston out in front 1-0. In the bottom of the third, Kyle Tucker tripled to score one. And then Robel Garcia singled him home to give the Astros a 3-0 advantage. In the bottom of the fourth, Jose Altuve hit a solo shot. Then Kyle Tucker followed it up with a three-run bomb to make it 7-zip. In the top of the fifth, the Jays got some of the runs back as Rowdy Tellez hit a moonshot to make it 7-1. Then Bobuchet doubled to the gap, scoring two. Vlad Guerrero Jr. then singled to score Bo and make it seven to four. But that is where things ended up. Jays drop two of three in Houston. Obviously, not a great series against Houston. What were your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, it wasn't a great series against Houston. I thought there were some shining spots uh, in a couple of spots there, but for the for the most part, it wasn't it uh, wasn't the best series um pitching performance wise uh not great (laughs) is the best way to put it yeah Uh, and the offense just wasn't there you didn't see too much uh at least not where it needed to be anyway um and so you know i think uh obviously we're going to talk about series after it but that was not uh the shining moment for the toronto blue
0: jays this season No, it was not. And uh, you know what, we're going to talk about Nate Pearson once we recap the Braves series. And uh, I was hoping we weren't. (laughs) We're going to talk all about uh, what happened in the Houston series more in depth, but Marcus Semien stayed hot. That's a positive. If you're looking for one, the Jays did score eight runs on Saturday, but like you mentioned, not where the offense was nowhere to be found on uh, Friday. And then on Sunday, it was too little too late with Pearson on the mound. Following the Houston series, the Jays had Monday off. Then Tuesday, we're in Atlanta taking on the Braves with Robbie Ray on the bump against Bryce wilson atlanta got the scoring started with an aussie albies single to make it one nothing then in the third ronald acuna jr went deep to make it two zip atlanta no scoring until the sixth when vlad guerrero jr lays to homer to right to tie things up just when it looked like the jays weren't going to be able to solve atlanta pitching in the bottom of the sixth though marcelo zuna went yard off of robbie ray who struck out 10 in the game to put atlanta back out in front three to two determined to get back in the lead in the eighth following a jonathan davis leadoff double With him, Marcus Samian, and Bo on, Vlad Guerrero Jr. singled to tie the game. Then Teosca Hernandez squibbed one to first, and Freddie Freeman didn't really know what to do with it, so everybody was safe, and the Jays took the lead. Bases still loaded. Kevin Biggio drew a walk to score another, and the Jays were put out front 5-3, to and they would win by that score, despite an adventure in the ninth inning with Jordan Romano on the mound. In Game 2, it was Ryu versus Max Fried in a battle of aces. The Braves got on the board in the fifth inning when, uh, when William Contreras homered and the Braves are out in front one nothing. In the 6th, Marcus Semien kept his hitting streak going with a double to tie the game. Then in the 7th, Teoscar Hernandez gave the Jays the lead with a home run to center. And then in the ninth, Teoscar destroyed a ball to left to extend the lead to 4-1, to which would be the final score as the Jays took the first two. In the finale against the Braves, Ross Stripling took the mound versus Charlie Morton. In the bottom of the first, first pitch, Ronald Acuna Jr. led off with a home run to make it one nothing. With Freddie Freeman and Ozzie on, Ahire Adrianza singled to make it two-zip Braves in the first. In the second, Jonathan Davis had a bloop single to cut the deficit to one. Then in the fifth, Bo Bichette laced a double to score Reese McGuire to tie the game at two. Then Teoscar Hernandez singled to give the Jays the lead at three to two. In the bottom of the sixth, Dansby Swanson homered off of Tim Meza to give the Braves the lead again. Then in the eighth, Cabin Biggio destroyed a double off of a 97-mile-an-hour pitch from lefty A.J. Minter to tie the game at three. Ninth inning with Atlanta closer Will Smith on the mound. Bo Bichette put the Blue Jays ahead with a line drive double to give them a two-run lead. Cavan biggio lined another double off of the lefty making it seven to four jays then lourdes goriel jr had a sack fly to make it eight to four bottom nine romano struck out the side the jays win it eight to four so the blue jays wrapped up the series against the braves now do keep in mind we are recording this during the finale which is in the afternoon on the wednesday uh, of course there will be the highlights from that wednesday game but that'll be recorded at a later time so uh, we are not sure what the outcome of the series is if the Jays swept the Braves if the Jays won two out of three we don't know but We're here to talk about the first two games and the Astros series for sure for you. Let's talk about the biggest story for the Blue Jays over the past week. Nate Pearson was called up on the weekend to make the start Sunday. Everybody's excited. They've needed consistency from that fifth spot. They haven't had it. Anthony Kaye's tried his go around at that. They've done bullpen days. It hasn't worked. Nate Pearson, who had a great first start in uh, AAA, all signs are pointing to him having a, a pretty good performance as well on Sunday. The Jays were looking for hopefully some innings. They didn't get that. Pearson struggled. I believe he pitched two and a third. He allowed a bunch of runs. It was not a great performance for Nate Pearson. First, before we talk about his demotion, what were your thoughts on Pearson's performance?
1: Well, obviously it was terrible. I mean, there's no question it was terrible. I uh, sent out a tweet in response to Mike Wilner's tweet calling him a bust uh, and got exactly the reaction I was clickbaiting for, (laughs) uh, which was great great so Wilner I apologize for that That was, of course a joke I don't think that uh, Nate Pearson is a bust but I certainly got uh, as Andrew Stoughton would put it the garbage clown's coming out and taking me down for uh, for that and actually I guess I was the garbage clown in that uh, yeah. scenario but um, but on purpose and, and certainly not uh, serious about it but you know Pearson doesn't look good he doesn't look like himself he doesn't look um, like he has any confidence he, he, he it's almost like the Ricky Romero scenario recruit ricky romero scenario there we go we got it all uh in that he's got uh, some kind of mental block right now i think I, I mean he's obviously got the stuff he's shown that in the past he's he's shown that in his minor league times um he's even shown flashes of it in the big leagues but right now he looks like he is not confident in himself he's having trouble getting that confidence back uh and it was the right move to send him down
0: all right, so yeah, I agree with you. He doesn't it doesn't look like he's got all of his confidence with him right now. He's struggled to find the strike zone. He's going to need to make some mechanical adjustments. Uh, he was flying open, throwing pitches high. He did not have very many pitches that were strikes in, in that game. And he's a big swing and miss guy. He, he wasn't getting them in that game on Sunday against the Astros. Keep in mind, I mean, oh, the well, Astros. They
1: were a foot outside, you know, you're not going to get swings and misses, right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> no, you're, you're right. And the Astros are experienced hitters. If they were playing the Orioles who are younger guys or guys who are on the fringes of the big leagues, you might get a few more swings and misses, but the Astros still have a solid lineup with Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Yuli Guriel. I mean, we saw all of Nate Pearson's flaws exploited in that game, and he's still young, right? And I, I know you were you were joking about that that bust tweet uh, when you were talking about Nate Pearson. I think everybody who was Called him a bust is 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 either joking or is a garbage clown uh, so far because <laughs> he is so young and and Mike Wilner brought up a good point in his response to you which was if you called Vladdy a a bust then sure Vladdy's having a great year this year it takes some time for guys to come around I mean you mentioned Ricky Romero I think a Roy Halladay who was sent all the way back down to Single A I believe and then he came back and dominated pitched uh, had a Hall of Fame career right so I think that Pearson needs a little bit more time in the minor leagues. I liked the move to send him down. You talked about confidence. He got sent down right after a bad start. And there were some critics of the move because they were afraid that, that Pearson's confidence was going to be shot after that, or that he didn't get a chance to to, to work with Pete Walker. What are your thoughts on the demotion? You called it the right move, but what are your thoughts on the whole scenario and how it went down?
1: He needs to go dominate. He needs to go get some work done on some of the things that he's doing. There's something going on with his delivery. uh, As you said, he's flying open in a lot of cases. Um, It's not just a confidence issue. And I do get the point and the take that perhaps, you know, being sent down right away is a bit of a confidence knock. But at the same time, for those guys that have been in sports and that have been, you know, doing these sorts of things, working with sports psychologists, uh, one of the things that you see all the time is that these guys get a chance to to work things out mentally down there too, right? And I think um, even though initially mentally it probably hurt a lot, I think it's still the right move. It's the right move to get them he needs some, some dominant starts down there. I mean, look what Manoa is doing down there. I mean, that's got to feel great. He's going to come up with a bunch of confidence. So, you know, we need to see some of that from Pearson too. That'll help him get his confidence back and, and working with the staff. The, the the organization doesn't just have Pete Walker has a lot of good staff in it, uh, a lot of good development teams. So, um, you know, he's not going to be left to toil away on his own and try to figure it out. There's going to be a specific plan and that plan is going to be in triple
0: yeah, no, I agree with that. I think he does need to go dominate somewhere like you like you mentioned. I mean, he's he's got the stuff. He's a guy who who can always bring it. He can throw high velocity. We saw it in the playoffs last year against Tampa Bay. And I hate to bring up that example because I think I brought it up last week as well. He dominated over two innings, struck out five batters, uh, got a ton of swings and misses in those two innings. And he didn't get that in Houston. He struggled with, uh, against the Astros. And I think that some time in AAA where he will likely have a fair amount of success will be huge for him because it'll boost that confidence. And you mentioned Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa, we're going to talk about him later, is a very confident guy to begin with. But all of this, all all these performances have certainly added to that confidence. And I really like what what I've seen from Manoa, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. I like the move to send him down to AAA. Everybody was criticizing it, saying it was too quick or that it's going to shoot his confidence. I don't mind it. I think it's an okay move and uh, we'll see if it pays off for the Blue Jays because something wasn't right with Nate Pearson and they've got to fix that. You talked about how it's not just Pete Walker in the organization. Absolutely. I mean, Simeon was Richardson came over last year or two years ago, sorry, and immediately turned things around in Dunedin. He was still very good in uh, in single A with the Mets, but he, he hit another level when he got to Toronto and as did Thomas Hatch, who in 2019 uh, was putting up some not so great numbers in double A, which is why the Cubs are willing to part with him for David Phelps. And then he just hit another level once he got into double new hampshire dominated there had a great year last year he's hurt right now and speaking of hurt players we've got some injury updates coming from charlie montoyo uh thomas hatch through is throwing two to three innings at a simulated game today which is thursday that'll be good for the blue jays as they continue to look to shore up that rotation uh george springer is starting to run today as well so that's a good sign for the jays or he started running yesterday he's taken bp uh anthony castro still feeling some tightness alejandro kirk hitting off a tee and throwing Running will be his biggest hurdle, they have said. Uh, So we'll see how that progresses. But good news on the injury front. Um, Who do you think, obviously, George Springer is going to be huge for the Blue Jays when he comes back. Do you think that Thomas Hatch, once he's ready, can have an impact on this team?
1: Well, for sure. I mean, they're having trouble filling the spot where Pearson filled in and Kay filled in. And it's just, you know, uh, Hatch is going to be huge for the team when he comes back. I think Springer's going to be huge and even Kirk is going to make a, a significant contribution. Uh, running is always his issue, but, uh, you know, I think he's, he's probably I know what you're saying by getting running going. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it, I think he can make an impact as well when he's back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that even though uh, Danny Jansen had a homer in three straight games, I think it was uh, this past week, um, he's he's not an offensive catcher like Alejandro Kirk is. And I say offensive catcher, not in the sense that he's only offensive. He can catch very well as well. He's, he's good behind the plate. Uh, Robbie Ray loves to pitch to him and we're we're doing whatever to keep Robbie Ray pitching the way he's pitching right now because he's been awesome and we'll talk about that next but I think Kirk is going to be huge for the Blue Jays when he comes back Reese McGuire's putting together some good at-bats and and I mean Danny Jansen he's he's very good defensively and that's really the only thing keeping him on this team that and the fact that he and Hyunjin Ryu have such good chemistry uh when he's on the mound so I mean I I am very excited for Kirk to return Thomas Hatch I cannot be a bigger fan of Thomas Hatch I don't think there's anybody who thinks of Thomas Hatch in such a high regard like I do, uh, maybe Pete Walker actually who mentioned that Hatch could pitch some beginnings for them in the future in the playoffs maybe down the road. I think Hatch will be huge and I think that once he returns he will likely be slotted into the one, of, one of those rotation spots to see if he can do it. He's probably going to get some starts in AAA before he does but I think that, that he's going to be thrown in there and, and they're going to give him every opportunity to prove his worth in the rotation because they envision him as a starter. This is a guy who throws right around 97 consistently with the fastball. He doesn't seem to overwork himself. He looks Looks like he knows how to, how to work his stuff. He knows what he has. He knows how to use it to his advantage. I think that's awesome. And I am really excited to see what Thomas Hatch can do when he's healthy. So I very much look forward to his return. I think the Blue Jays do as well because they need that rotation help and he can provide it. So I'm excited to see what Hatch can do. George Springer, I, I'm hoping he'll be back next week. My prediction, and I know we probably shouldn't be giving out predictions for George Springer's injuries because we never know when they're going to pop up. I think, and I'll let you weigh in next, I think that George Springer will be back for the series after our next podcast. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think I have any different take on that. I think that's when he'll be back. I think they're going to be a little extra cautious with him, and hopefully it means that he stays for the rest of the season. So uh, that's actually not only when I think, but when I hope he returns. Yeah, I hope to see it tomorrow, but I don't think he'd be ready for that.
0: (laughs) No, no, I don't think so either. I think that uh, he's just going to ramp up the running starting in this series against Atlanta. Then they, then they go back home to face the Phillies. I think that he's going to get better and stronger. And I think that they give him the Phillies series, the one after, I forget who they play there. And then I believe they head to Cleveland uh, next weekend. And that's when I think we might be able to see the return of George Springer. I think it's soon. I think it's within the next 14 days, but I really hope the Blue Jays don't rush it and they don't let George Springer try to convince them to rush it because Springer really wants to play. He's a competitor. He's a guy who wants to play every single day and that desire can sometimes infringe on the progress that he's making with that injury. So hopefully that does not happen as he tries to return from another. The Blue Jays have two free agents impending pending free agents who are making an impact this season, Marcus Semyon and Robbie Ray. Now I know it's very early in the season. Semyon has really uh, heated up for the month of May. Now on a 12 game hitting streak as of this afternoon, he's looked really good. He's been great defensively. Uh, Robbie Ray is a guy who has been a real bright spot in that blue jays rotation he threw 33 had 33 strikeouts to one walk in his last three starts or something like that he's been crazy this year he's been a guy who couldn't throw a strike before when he was in arizona who comes to the blue jays and is now all of a sudden hitting the strike zone consistently and his velocity is ticked up he's looked really really good Both of them are free agents at the end of this year. We've talked in depth about Robbie Ray and what he means to this rotation, how good he's been. Do you think that the blue Jays should be offering a contract at the end of this year to either one of these guys for a couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think they should offer for both. I mean, obviously, we're not paying Robbie Ray enough because he's wearing his T-ball pants, but uh, (laughs) you know, we, you know, but I think that they do need to expand uh, his pants as well as their contracts and and maybe extend them if they can do it earlier on before the end of the season, which might be easier than doing it. Well, maybe not. If they want to go to free agency, it might be easier for them to do that. But anyway, I think they should make a concerted effort toward it, and uh, you know, certainly, um, you know long-term would be nice to see both of them in a blue jay uniform
0: yeah i think it would be good Uh, my only reservation with marcus Semyon is i'm fine with offering Ray a contract i like marcus Semyon. i think he's an awesome piece for the blue jays and i like the leadership he brings as well but they've got austin martin and jordan groshans who are in the minor leagues and who are making their way to the bigs. I mean, Martin and Groshans have both been off to pretty good starts in double a new Hampshire. So I think that they're soon going to be in the big leagues. And if Simeon is looking for a five year contract type deal uh, after this season, I don't think the blue Jays offer that. I think the only way you do offer those types of deals or sorry, the only way you do offer them a deal is if it's two years, three years max, I mean, Simeon is not going to have a place to play if Groshans and Martin or anything like what they're supposed to be, what they're expected to be. So I, I don't know if I offer Marcus Simeon a contract, despite the fact that I, I love having him on the team. And I'll talk more about how much I love having him in his recent performance in a little bit. But I think that he's been a really bright, a really big, bright spot. I, I don't want to offer him a contract, though, because of the the young guys that are coming up. Robbie Ray, I wouldn't be opposed to giving him a three-year deal, maybe, if he can keep this up because if he's hitting the strike zone, he's getting strikeouts. That's awesome for the Blue Jays. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good take on that. And uh, Alec Manoa is another guy in AAA who has been having some success uh, in the minor leagues, I should say, because not everybody in AAA has been having some success. The Bisons won 12-0 in their game last night when Alec Manoa was on the mound. He threw five no-hit innings, allowed a hit in the sixth, Um, and then was done after that, struck out five. He has dominated in AAA, which has caused a lot of fans to want him in the big leagues now. I have joked with people that I think he should be in the big leagues for his next start. I don't think he should be for the next start. I I personally believe that July 15th is my prediction. Uh, Last uh, last week on the show, I think that timeline might have been accelerated a little bit. Ross Atkins talked about in spring training how Manoa is accelerating his timeline quite a bit. And I think that he's continuing to accelerate it as he pitches through the minor leagues. So I think that maybe it's it's earlier than July 15th, but I think it's too early for his next start. What are your thoughts on the whole Manoa coming up debate?
1: Yeah, I think he's almost ready for sure. I don't know that you bring him up for his next start either. I wouldn't say that, but definitely uh, within the next few starts and maybe even July 15th, if you wanted to push it out that further. Uh, you know, I mean, extra development never hurts anybody. I know the fan base is really excited about getting him in there. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as we've said, you know, the more you develop a player, the better they're going to be so that they don't have to return to the minor leagues after. So, you know, I would like to see July 15th as well, just for development purposes. But if he's desperately needed, if this rotation continues to sputter in the back end um, and, uh, and, you know, we can't find, or the Jays can't find a solution for that, then maybe Manoa is going to end up having to be it. And again, they, that accelerated timeline kicks in.
0: Yeah. I don't want to see him before June in the big leagues though. I think that he's a very good piece and I, and I want him to pitch for this team, but I think that, Staying in the in the minor leagues until June, I think that'll get him what four starts, maybe five. I think then we reevaluate and we see where he's at. If he's that good and the rotation is that bad, then bring him up for sure. That's that's great. We can finally plug the rotation a little bit with Manoa coming up, hatch returning, Pearson, hopefully finding his groove again. That would be awesome, but I don't know that we will see that and uh uh, I, I really hope we do because he's a, he's a top prospect. He's pitched really well. I don't know that he's walked a guy this year. I don't think he has. He's hit a lot of just guys. Hits them all. <laughs> yeah, he just gets to a three and zero count, just plunks him. But no walks <laughs> in his start. Uh, in his last start, I believe he didn't have a walk the time before that. Maybe he had one uh, or maybe two. But I, I really liked what I've seen from Alec Manoa so far. I've been a huge fan of Manoa for a while. I As soon as he got drafted, I was a big Alec Manoa guy. There was a debate that Josh Goldberg of Sportsnet 590 and I had on Twitter um, a couple of weeks ago before the season uh, or maybe just first week into the season about Luis Castillo of the Reds. Um, Great young starting pitcher, three years of control. He was asking, would you offer Alec Manoa? I said, no. And I said, I'm not basing that solely on spring performance because a lot of fans were, a lot of people were saying no in in those replies because of how well he pitched in the spring. That was part of my reasoning for it. But I think that what he's shown shows that he can be a reliable big league piece and he's going to be a front of the rotation starter. I don't know if I want to give that up. So I've been a huge fan of Alec Manoa. I think Manoa is going to be a a key contributor to the Blue Jays. If they want him in the rotation by, by June, maybe, That shows that this is a winning, this is a year they're trying to win. I saw 2021 coming into it as still another development year, as a good development year. They're not a World Series contender this year without Alec Manoa, I think, in the big leagues, without pitching in the big leagues. Do you think that if Manoa gets called up before July, that this is signaling the Blue Jays are are going for it this year?
1: I think for sure it does. For sure it does. If they are going to try and fill a gap in the pitching rotation uh, that early and with somebody that's that's potentially a, an up-and-coming prospect that could wait a little bit longer, then I think it does show that, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think the players really want to win. They see this as a winning year, but I think a lot of fans, and, and myself included, see this as more of a development year. I don't think they're World Series contenders yet. I think they can be next season, um, and I think that if, if Manoa pitches the way he's been pitching in AAA, which obviously is not – sustainable over a full 162 but uh but pitches close to that i think he it's going to be huge for the blue jays and i i believe that they will have runs in the future i don't think that this year will be the year for that all right moving on now to our final part of the blue jays coverage uh on the show until we get into our prospect watch later on the two best and the worst who is your best pitcher from the last week in blue jays baseball
1: well it was great to see ryu come back last night i thought he did great excellent outing uh getting all the way into seventh
0: inning um and finishing the seventh so um i'm giving that to ryu It's always a reliable choice uh, he struggled in oakland in his last start but seems to have found himself yet again uh after that start against the braves looked really good just to be different i'm gonna go with robbie ray because he had another good start against the braves allowed three runs but uh it's It's been pretty consistent. He allows three runs, strikes out 10 guys. He had a really great quote, I thought, uh, after his performance against the Braves. He said... All you got to do with this offense is keep them close and they'll win the games. That's what he's been doing. And, and he's, he struck out 10 guys. He walked one. And really that walk was a hit by pitch, but the umpire missed it. And there were three balls. So it was ball four. That's fine. Robbie Ray seems to be a new pitcher this year. And I've loved what I've seen. Who's the best hitter for you over the last week in blue Jays baseball. I'm going to give it to Mr. Jano. I'm going to do
1: it. uh, Again.
0: You did it last week too.
1: I did? Okay, maybe I better take that back then. I'll (laughs) I'll give it back to Vladdy again, who's heating back up. Uh, You know, we had a little bit of a slump there, obviously, um, for some of our week that we're talking about right now, but but seeing him start to heat up and perform, uh, certainly in the Atlanta series as well, has been nice to see, and I'll give it back to him.
0: All right. Well, Vladdy, I think has been the recipient of this award more times than anybody else, <laughs> uh, whether it's pitching or hitting. He's, he's struggled a little bit uh, in Oakland and then a little bit in Houston as well, but he seems to have found himself again. Uh, a lot of ground balls, which I'm not loving because that was Vladdy's issue last year, but Hopefully he can keep up the good performances. I'm going to give it to Marcus Sammy. And he's been, the, he's been the guy for the month of May for the blue Jays. And he's on a 12 game hitting streak. I've loved what I've seen from Sammy he's come up clutch. He's had some hard base hits. He's making solid contact. He's done a really great job. And, uh, and I'm happy to see it because he struggled a little bit at the start of the year. I think that I pegged him as my worst overall player for the blue Jays in, in the month of April or something. and, during one of the weeks so i'm glad that Simeon has kind of gone shame to flame a little bit and uh has been hot lately so he's my best hitter for the past week in blue jays baseball who is your worst overall player from the past week
1: Well, I sadly need to give it to uh, to Nate Pearson. But uh, but but I mean, you know, with the caveat that I think he just needs to get some development in and he'll be fine. And, uh, you know, again, it might be a significant amount of development. We may not see him till July again, Uh, but uh, uh, but I, I unfortunately have to give it to him this week.
0: Yeah, I, I had planned this one out and I didn't think of Nate Pearson right away because he's back in the minor leagues. But I think if you if you were to, to look at how everybody's performed in the past week and then the expectations coming in, Nate Pearson is the guy to go to. Um, just so somebody else can get some... I, I don't want to say that because nobody wants to be the worst overall player from the past week. But uh, Lourdes Gurriel is my worst overall player from the past week. He's really struggled at the plate. He's always been a bit of a free swinger, but he, this year he's taken it to another level and he seems to have really... He seems to have really been be struggling apparently Charlie Montoyo had a talk with him after the second game in Atlanta and uh, he, had a, he had a solid base hit uh in in game three i've been watching a little bit of it this afternoon um but uh guriel is my worst hitter from the past week you can think of a lot of good hitters throughout throughout baseball who have struggled this year a lot of them who can be considered the worst on their respective teams and uh that's been a trend throughout baseball i mean they've really struggled offensively that has led to four no hitters from joe musgrove carlos rodan john means and now wade miley last week so a lot, a lot of no hitters and very little hitting in baseball in the minors and in the Atlantic league, they're doing a lot of experiments and we talked about some of them when Smitty and Mitty were on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, including moving the mound back a foot in the Atlantic league and uh, eliminating the shifts in the second half of the double a season, I believe is when they're doing that. Do you think that either of those moves are potentially the answer to the base to baseball's hitting struggles?
1: no, no, I don't. Um, it's just more Rob Manford experimentation. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if it generates more offense, but I don't think it will. I don't think it'll do anything personally.
0: I, I disagree. Um, I listened to an interview and maybe it's just because I listened to an interview with Theo Epstein last week and he's their new pace of play guy in major league baseball. I, I've been a, I'm a fan of Theo Epstein and the work that he's done in front offices. And I hope he can bring the sport back to where it once was as the the most popular sport in the United States and hopefully gain popularity in Canada as well. Listen, he said that in, in all of the, uh, in all the studies they've done, people love their favorite plays at the ballpark are not home runs. They're doubles. They're triples and they're stolen bases. People want to see excitement where people are, where guys are going full sprint around the bases, where they're going from one base to another and there's action. That's awesome. That's, My favorite thing to watch in baseball, a triple is so rare, but it's so exciting because there's a guy motoring around the bases and outfielders are just scrambling to try and throw him out at third base. It's, it's, it's probably one of the, one of the best things in baseball, but it's also the least common thing in baseball right now for hitters. So I think that moving the mound back could help. Now I say that because major league baseball had similar numbers to this, maybe a little bit better the year before they lowered the mound. When the mound was high up, pitchers started to find advantages. And that's what's happening now. With places like Driveline, with Pitching Ninja showing off pitches, with with grips and all sorts of stuff, with spin rate augmentation... It's been a a pitcher's world lately, and hitters have not been able to use the technology and the science like pitchers have for their success. So I do believe that there could be a solution of moving the mound back. We'll see the results. I don't know what's going to happen. I I can't predict it. I am optimistic, and shifts, I believe, are, are... Maybe a byproduct of the struggles of the plate with people just trying to pull it, but it's all it also could be part of the solution because I think that if you eliminate shifts, um, there, there are so many more base hits up the middle that will be uh that will be singles and then there won't be ground outs. Guys that pull the ball consistently will have more hits, it'll be more exciting. It won't be as good for pitchers, but uh, they'll have to adjust yet again. And I feel kind of bad for the pitchers because they've adjusted, but it's not an entertaining product. Uh, for fans, for a lot of fans right now. And I know there are people that, that think, oh, there's no problem with the game right now. The reality is, I mean, it's not all that exciting for the full three hours. I don't think pace of play is the problem. I think there's just not enough excitement, especially this year with the way the pitchers have pitched. Agreed. Now, moving on, uh, we saw the Wade Miley no-hitter last week. I mentioned it there in that uh, little segment about the offensive struggles. Wade Miley is the family, but he threw seven pitches the whole game above 90 miles per hour. He threw more pitches under 70 miles per hour, which were, I believe he threw 14, or at 70 miles an hour, something like that. It was some crazy stat where he threw more pitches that were uh, at 70 miles per hour or lower than he did above 90 miles per hour. I mean... I think at this point, the no hitters, which sucks because no hitters are so rare. I think they've gotten a little less impressive because of the fact that hitters have struggled so much.
1: Yeah, I think it has to do with last year. Obviously, Um, hitters have taken a lot longer than pitchers to get back into the groove. uh, And that's why these no hitters have happened so quickly. Um, and so often already this, this year, I think that'll Peter out toward the middle of the year when the hitters really start to catch up for sure.
0: I mean, props to Wade Miley though, for being able to exploit the hitters flaws and, uh, and worked that no-hitter. I mean, seems like a really good guy. He said that uh, his son gave him a temporary Hulk tattoo on his arm, uh, which he showed a picture of to the media after the game, and that uh, powered him to his no-hitter. So that was a pretty cool moment. Moving on to Prospect Watch to conclude the episode of the podcast. Uh, every week, we'll highlight some prospects in the Blue Jays system that have done really well. And, uh, of course, Alec Manoa is another guy we had him last week on the prospect watch we have him again six innings no runs one hit no walks five strikeouts he's been dominating the triple a level at the double a level gabriel moreno is hitting 500 on the year so far the young 21 year old catcher has a home run eight rbis and a one three three six ops simeon woods richardson also in double a uh five innings pitched one run one hit two walks eight strikeouts in his last start very optimistic uh, numbers from Simeon Woods-Richardson there. And then Ryan Gold and high A Vancouver, a 381 average, 5 RBI, and a 1071 OPS. Those guys are the four best prospects in the past week for the Blue Jays. And that concludes episode 69 of Two Elevens Baseball Talk. We thank you very much for watching or listening, whatever that may be. And we'll see you again next week for another great episode.